May the God of peace fill you with all joy. Through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. The word of the Lord to which I direct your attention for comfort and encouragement in faith at this time comes from Exodus chapter 7, verses 8 through 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and Egyptian magicians. They also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. This is the word of our God. Please be seated. In the name of Jesus Christ, who came into the world to destroy the devil's work, dear souls were purchased from death and sin and hell by Jesus' holy, precious blood. Can you finish this statement? Seeing is believing. Yes, seeing is believing. So if a six-year-old bursts into the house and says, there's a mountain lion in the tree, Do you immediately call animal control to deal with the problem? Or do you go and look in the tree first? Generally, when someone tells us something that is outrageous or completely out of the normal, um, seeing is believing, right? Um, We have to look at it with our eyes to verify what our ears have just heard. And so for that reason, for for many, seeing is believing. But there's a problem. At times, seeing can be deceiving. For example, if your friend shows you a picture of a northern pike that he has caught, it may appear in that picture that he caught a 34-inch fish. But if you look more closely at the picture you may be able to see that when he's holding the fish, he's not holding it here next to his body. He's holding the fish with arms extended away from his body closer to the camera. And from that angle, the view is distorted and the fish looks twice as wide as the man's shoulders. When it's really just a 14-inch fish. Seeing can be deceiving. Thirsty travelers in the desert have been led off of the path they were walking on because they thought they could see a lake of water in the distance. And after walking 20 miles in the wrong direction, they realized they were deceived by a mirage, an illusion created by heat radiating from the sand on the desert floor. Seeing can be deceiving. 
And so it's important to know when to believe your eyes, isn't it? See, at best, being deceived with your eyes can lead to embarrassment. At worst, it can be fatal, can't it? But that's not only the case with secular things, with worldly things, it's even more so the case when it comes to spiritual things. Seeing can be deceiving. All of us gathered here today, I'm assuming, confess faith in the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the Apostles' Creed, we confess our faith in God the Father Almighty. He's our Father. We believe He loves us. He's Almighty. We believe He can do anything. And yet, I noticed some of you walked into the building with walkers and canes today. There are others of you who I know have been suffering from chronic pain and it's persisted, though you've prayed for God to take it away. Some of you are single, even though you've prayed for God to give you a spouse. The wildfires out west, they're consuming the homes of believers in God as well as unbelievers. And so from our eyes, or with our eyes, it may appear as though there's no difference between believer and unbeliever. We all suffer from the same physical infirmities. The same natural disasters strike us. And our prayers seem to go unanswered often. So is there any value to the faith and the hope that you have in the Lord? It may appear that there is not. When Moses and Aaron appeared before Pharaoh in his throne room, they entered full of hope. The Lord had told them that he was going to deliver the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He sent them with a message for Pharaoh. Tell him, let my people go. And when Pharaoh asked for a sign, when he asked for some proof of the power of the Lord their God who had sent them with this message... Aaron was to take his staff, his walking stick, and throw it on the ground. And the Lord said, it will become a snake. And it did. It became a snake. But Pharaoh was unimpressed. He called his magicians. He called his sorcerers. They came in. They threw their staffs on the floor, and they became snakes too. And so if you were standing in that throne room at that moment, what would you think based on what you had just seen? Would it not have appeared that the gods of Egypt were equally as powerful as the God of Israel? If you were Moses and Aaron, would you think, oh no, our God isn't greater than their gods. What hope do we have of ever being free? But remember, seeing can be deceiving. 
Pharaoh's pagan gods appeared to have power. Do you know where that power came from? We wouldn't know if it wasn't for the clarifying word of God. See, I have to wear these things um, when I'm reading because things are fuzzy. Now, my vision is blurred. And our vision, our natural vision, is often blurred as we try to interpret the events that are going on in our life and in our world. And so the Apostle Paul interprets for us and helps us to see clearly what was happening here in Pharaoh's throne room. How could the staffs of the magicians and sorcerers become snakes? By what power was that happening? Paul says the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons. It was the power of Satan at work when the magicians and sorcerers of Pharaoh threw their staffs in the ground and they became snakes. But don't look away too soon. On that day, Moses and Aaron got a glimpse of what the Lord does with the devil's work. Aaron's staff that had become a snake ate up the other snakes, ate up their staffs. And what was the clear message? The God of Israel is greater than the gods of Egypt. Pharaoh saw it with his own eyes. Moses and Aaron saw it with their own eyes. Moses and Aaron saw it as proof that God is great, greater than the gods of Israel. Pharaoh did not. Why not? We are told, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them. And so Satan's power is not just at work in the sorcerers and magicians throwing their staffs on the ground and becoming snakes. He was at work in the heart of Pharaoh, blinding him to the truth of what was going on. And so he refused to believe. He refused to let the people of Israel go. God's people are still slaves. It appeared God's plan had been thwarted once again, right? God was too weak to deliver on his promise. But again, Scripture clears our blurred vision. Notice what we are told. Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. God saw this coming on the part of Pharaoh, that Pharaoh would not listen, that he would harden his heart. And so before we jump to conclusions, when we look at the events that are going on around us in our lives, it's important that we look to the Word of God and let it interpret those events for us so that we see them clearly. What was happening in that throne room was not against God's plan. It was fully in keeping with God's plan. And everything was unfolding just as the Lord had determined. The Lord knew in advance that Pharaoh would harden his heart. And not only did Moses and Aaron have the opportunity to see God swallowing up the power of the devil here, 
but they would see God swallowing up the power of the devil later on. Remember what happened? Satan worked in the heart of Pharaoh so that after the 10th plague, when Pharaoh had let the people of Israel go, Pharaoh in a rage sent his armies after them. God parted the waters of the Red Sea. Israel went through. The armies of Pharaoh followed. And in the waters of the sea, God swallowed up that army. And once again, he swallowed up the devil's work, didn't he? God brought deliverance for Israel. He brought honor and glory to his name. That's what that tells us is that Satan cannot stand against the Lord. And so when you look at your life, when you look at yourself, what do you see? Do you see the Lord's work? Or do you see the devil at work? When I look into the mirror, and when you look into the mirror, we first of all see someone who has received their life and their being and their existence from God. The book of Acts says, in him we live and move and have our being. But what have you done, what have I done with that existence, with the breath, with the life that God has given to us physically? We've murdered people. We've murdered them with thoughts of hatred and bitterness because someone is better than we are at something or because someone wronged us at some time and now we can't think a happy thought or a kind thought about them. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. We're all adulterers. And not having done so physically, we've done so here in our minds. Whoever lusts after a woman has committed adultery with her in his heart. We're all spiritual cowards. Think of the times that you and I, because of peer pressure, because of fear of what others might say to us or about us, backed out on doing what we knew God wanted us to do. That's the devil's work. It's the devil's work in you, the devil at work in me. And if God swallows up the work of the devil... That doesn't bode well for us. For as the psalmist says, surely God will crush the heads of his enemies. And so as God crushed Pharaoh for his evil, so God threatens to crush all of us. And we deserve it. But that's where God does the unexpected. Rather than conceding us, into the hands of the devil, rather than conceding victory to Satan, the Lord vowed from eternity to destroy the devil's work. And so just as Aaron's branch swallowed up the branches of Satan that became snakes, so Jesus, the branch of David, was sent by God and he swallowed up all the guilt for your murder, for your lust and your cowardice, and for mine. 
on the cross. It was Jesus Christ who there absorbed in his own flesh the very crushing blows of God that should have fallen on you and me. Jesus swallowed it up and he took it away. And to show that it was for real, his tomb was empty three days later, wasn't it? Jesus lives. Sin and death and Satan have been conquered. They've been swallowed up by victory. And that victory is yours. Just as God has said. And it's when we keep that word of God in mind that it helps us to properly interpret what's happening in our lives. A dentist and a street fighter have one thing in common. You know what that is? They both extract teeth. One does it to hurt you, the other does it to help you. Jesus said to his believing disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Satan, like a street brawler, wants to hurt you. He wants to break our teeth. And so he brings misery and trouble and struggle into our lives because he wants us to lose hope. He wants us to let go of Christ and the victory that he has won for us. God, on the other hand, allows Satan to bring misery into our lives because he wants to maintain hope in, our, in us and trust in Jesus Christ within our hearts. The Apostle Paul was a case in point of that. The Apostle Paul said that he had a thorn in the flesh and he prayed three times for the Lord to take it away. And he described this thorn in the flesh as coming from a messenger of Satan. Satan was bringing this physical pain to Paul, hoping that Paul would think that God didn't love him. God was using this pain, as Paul said, to keep him from becoming conceited. Because if you open your Bible, two-thirds of the New Testament was written by Paul, inspired by the Spirit in Paul's heart. It would be easy for Paul to think, I'm such a great man, powerful and wise in the church. And God was reminding him, no, you're not. You're just like everybody else. So to keep Paul from trusting in himself and trusting instead in the Lord, God gave him this thorn in the flesh. Hate from God, love from God. Some of you came into church with walkers and canes. Some of you have chronic pain that you're dealing with day in and day out. Others of you have prayed for things but have not received. Is it because God doesn't care? Because he's forgotten? Or because he's trying to crush you and punish you? No, the word of scripture clarifies, endure hardship as discipline from God. Because God loves you. And he wants you not to trust in your strength, but his. He wants you not to look at the things of this world and what it has to offer, but to lift your eyes heavenward to what he has prepared for you there. 
And by doing that, he is keeping you in his kingdom, keeping you in his hands for life everlasting. And so just as we sang in the hymn prior to the sermon, there is a difference between believers and unbelievers. For you in Christ, there is no guilt in life. There is no fear in death. For you in Christ, there is a crown of life that is waiting for you. It's sure and it's secure because God loves you and he has won the victory for you. Brothers and sisters, that's the difference between you and the unbelievers that are around you. Believe that difference and rejoice in it every day. Amen.